0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and today we're going to talk about two stories that courted a lot of controversy over the past couple of weeks. The first is the trading of water futures that hedge and bet on the water availability in California. And the second is a decision made by NASDAQ to adopt new listing rules related to board diversity and disclosure. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Stay tuned. Water as an ESG issue is a controversial one. There are water funds out there that allow investors to put capital into companies that address water scarcity issues, water efficiency issues, and water usage issues, and and other things. Many of those funds, though, try not to touch the actual buying and selling of water because of the controversy surrounding profiting off of a vital resource. But just because many avoid it, it doesn't mean the purchasing and selling of water doesn't happen. In California, for example, whenever there is a drought, private firms who are extracting groundwater and landowners who stored water when it was plentiful sell water by the acre feet to those who need it, usually farms or cities. It's an opaque market that isn't well disclosed on, and as droughts intensify, prices can fluctuate from a low of $90 US to a high of $2,200 US per acre foot. This is according to research done by Stanford University. Those price fluctuations court controversy and net millions for the sellers of water, and as water has become scarcer, the market has become fiercer, and now Wall Street has entered the fray. There are these things called future contracts where a seller and a buyer of a commodity can lock in a purchase price to be settled at a future date for the commodity to be delivered traditionally the futures market is reserved for things like oil and agricultural commodities important stuff yes but they have substitutes and you likely won't die right away if you don't have them but now water is being traded on the futures market specifically california water on december 6th california water futures began trading on the commodities market and cme group was the first to launch a water futures contract to be settled in january 2021 just for clarity's sake when the buyer and seller close out this contract in january cme isn't delivering anything they are just the clearinghouse it's linked to the california's 1.1 billion spot water market i.e the nasdaq valley's california water index and last traded monday at 496 index points equal to 496 dollars us per acre foot What is interesting for us here at MSCI ESG Research is not the complexity of the futures market, rather how this is going to affect issues like water scarcity and water stress. And a lot of people have worried about a basic resource being a speculative financial market asset. So I decided to call up Tim McCourt, Global Head of Equity Index and Alternative Investment Products at CME Group, and I asked him how their futures contract might affect water scarcity in the region.
1: One of the goals of a futures contract at CME based on the NASDAQ-Vellis California Water Index is to try and better align the supply and demand of water, as well as providing a risk management tool that those such as agriculture or agribusiness that need to make consumption-based decisions for irrigation or for farming or for other elements of production can also manage the resultant price-related risk to water. Uh, and that's something that the future can do is increase the supply and demand efficiency, uh, giving and ascribing a price to the underlying asset Uh, where the futures contract will go out about two years. So you'll have a forward curve. You can see different shapes of the curve. What is the seasonality implied as a function of cost of water? And these will all make better, more informed consumption and more sustainable consumption decisions now that you have this data and it's backed by actual transactions between a buyer and seller. Uh, of the of the futures contract on the index
0: so basically what Tim is saying is there is this private market that I mentioned in the opening that is already buying and selling water in California what the futures market is trying to do is turn that into a regulated and transparent system of commerce one that is more open and transparent but the thing is about markets there are no ceilings if someone is willing to bid up the price on something it can continue Infinum which is not good for living things when it comes to water. So I was curious about what could happen if the price of water is bid up to more unsustainable levels and cash-strapped cities and towns cannot afford to get the water they need. For Tim and CME, though they believe the vehicle will not create a bubble for water. Rather, it will better align the demand and supply side of the equation. It'll smooth it all out. For a farmer who is buying water, Tim told me, they can now lock in a price for water with a futures contract that will save them from the volatility in water prices that can come during a drought or dry year.
1: Conversely, if you look at the supply side, if you have access to surface water or groundwater on your land, or you have the ability to offer entitlement rights, uh, but you historically have not, you now know and can ascribe a price of, okay, if I have the ability to provide more water, I could also sell futures and lock in some of that price.
0: Tim and CME contend that this will do nothing more than make the water market in California more transparent. The water system in California is a bit odd when you start to get down into it. Often cities will be bidding against farmers for water rights, for example. In 2014, In one instance, the city of Santa Barbara, which had its own water shortages at the time, was outbid by a local farm and unable to get the water it needed. But the event to watch with all this will be whether this transparency in the water market will result in a smoothing effect or create a prospecting effect. The United Nations said Wall Street's new water futures risk an essential public good being treated like gold and oil, leaving the market vulnerable to a speculative bubble. A speculative bubble created by outside forces coming into the market and bidding up the price of water basically a prospecting effect. I asked him if CME was concerned about this possible bubble that could be created by their market.
1: It's not necessarily about what price people pay, because as the exchange, we are agnostic to price. Uh, On every contract that trades, there's a buyer and seller that are willing to transact at that price. So that is the prevailing price of that contract at that point in time. Our responsibility is to make sure those buyers and sellers can meet and trade and transact efficiently and transparently. And I think that's what really makes the contract attractive is when it's regulated and centrally cleared, the entire market, even if you're not a participant to that trade, certainly benefits from the resultant information of at this point in time, That is the definitive value of this contract and that commodity, because that is where a buyer and seller just transacted and exchanged that risk with each other.
0: Setting an accurate price for water is not unneeded. At the moment, water is a very undervalued natural resource. If we more accurately price our water, we may rethink where we grow some of our crops or locate some of our facilities. Ecolab, a water pricing company, along with London-based environmental firm Truecost, actually created this algorithm called Water Risk Monetizer to allow businesses to better understand the actual cost of their water usage so a company can price this into their operations. It's a good idea for businesses, but the thing communities might worry about, however, is whether the water they use to live will be wrapped up in a pricing mechanism for the market. so speaking of transparency nasdaq a u.s stock exchange filed a proposal with the u.s securities and exchange commission to adopt new rules related to board diversity and disclosure for the companies that are listed on the exchange the ruling is open until january 4th for comment but if it's approved by the sec it would require all companies listed on the nasdaq's u.s stock exchange to have or explain why they do not have at least two diverse directors, including one who self identifies as a female and one who self identifies as either an underrepresented minority or an LGBTQ individual. If companies decide they do not want a diverse board member, then that's fine. They just have to tell people publicly why they do not want a diverse board member or they risk getting delisted from the stock exchange. In effect, this is going to be a push for more data disclosure on diversity under the proposal all nasdaq listed companies will be required to publicly disclose board level diversity statistics through nasdaq's proposed disclosure framework aka the matrix within one year of the SEC's approval of the listing rule companies will have two years to actually get the diverse candidate on their board and they must have at least two diverse candidates within four years Again, if they don't do this, all they have to do is just tell us why they cannot and they'll be fine. When this was announced, a lot of news coverage got it wrong saying that this was a the mandate. They had to do this and those that are habitually resistant to change said it was an attack on the liberties of companies with one newspaper's editorial board claiming Nasdaq had become quote woke. Regardless. We have been studying diversity on board since around 2009, so I thought we should discuss the matter. And there is no better person to discuss this than Christina Milhoman, a colleague who recently published our Women on Board report for 2020. And so I called up Christina and asked her what she thought about Nasdaq's move.
2: The Nasdaq... Nasdaq proposal, is an important step forward in the right direction, and it does provide some guidance in the context of diversity at board level, but we have to say that at MSCI, our standards are much higher, right? So the Nasdaq proposal is really just the first step, right? It's really pushing companies to think about it. And another important point is that at least in the context of gender diversity, the proposal is not even a big stretch, right? If you look at the companies that are listed at NASDAQ across the MSI universe, more than 90% already have at least one female director, right? So the companies that will be impacted on the gender side of things will be only the laggards.
0: Just to clarify what Christina is saying there for everyone listening, when she says NASDAQ's rule isn't up to our standards, what she means is we believe that for companies to unlock the benefits of a more diverse board, their board must be at least 30% diverse. So according to our research, NASDAQ is actually not going far enough, but the importance of the NASDAQ rule is in something that was overshadowed by the two person on board instruction. It's that matrix. I mentioned it's actually called the board diversity matrix, and it's the standardized simple table that companies will be asked to fill out in this process. The table asks for the total number of directors, what their gender is. They include four options for this, their race and their sexual orientation, if applicable. And the company can then publish this information, using any of the following methods one they can put it in their proxy statement they can put it in the information statement for their shareholders or they can put it on their website i.e they got to make this stuff public this sort of standardized material is crucial for data providers like us to understand how diversity plays out in the market which is actually a great excuse for us to now shift to our research for gender diversity on the board level
2: We've been tracking gender diversity since 2009, and there has been progress. But even in 2020, we are still really far from where we should be. And worse than that, uh, in our most recent report, we actually noticed a significant slowdown in the pace of change. So there is, is still progress, but it has slowed down. So just to give you an an idea, across the constituents of the MSCI Aqua Index, only 20.6% of the board seats are actually held by women.
0: And when we split that number up by markets, we see that developed markets have only 26.2% of board seats filled by women, and the emerging markets have only 13% as of 2020. And with these low numbers of representation at the highest levels, We not only see issues of performance at companies, but there's also the problem of global equality and proper representation of our population and giving enough people the chance to succeed that we have yet to fix. And this low representation is a symptom of that.
2: It's not all about business. It's an equity issue as well. It's a societal issue, and we all should be concerned about it. But if you do honor the business case, research has constantly shown that poor diversity results in better decision-making and better performance. So there you go. You have your business case.
0: Okay, I have to clarify something that Christina just said there. Uh, When she said it results in better decision-making and performance, it's not exactly true. More diverse groups tend to make better decisions and companies with more diverse boards tend to perform better financially. I I just didn't want to cut out that sound bite because it was so good, but I had to do that little legal clarification for y'all. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Tim McCourt at CME and our very own Christina for talking to me about this week's news with an ESG twist. I want to thank you so much for listening as always. Don't forget to rate and review us if you like what you heard, but don't forget you can only do that on your cell phone. For some reason, you can't do it on a browser. And please subscribe because that's good for us when you do that. We're actually going to take a break for the rest of the year, but Lee. Kaplan is going to be hosting a Christmas special, so definitely check that out, and I'll talk to you next year. Have a great holiday, and keep it easy.